0: Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through verse 21, 18 through 21, or at least the first half of verse 21, maybe through all of it, but certainly 18 through 21. I I came across a press statement this past week that caught my attention from the uh, Atheist in Kenya Society. And I wanted to read a portion of that press statement to you It says, regretfully, the secretary of the Atheist in Kenya Society, Mr. Seth Mahiga informed me that he has made the decision to resign from his position as secretary of the society Seth's reason for resigning is that he has found Jesus Christ How about that? And is no longer interested in promoting atheism in Kenya. I guess not. Uh, That's a good way to put it, isn't it? We wish Seth all the best in his newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank him for having served the society with dedication over the last one and a half years. The position of Secretary of the Society of Atheists in Kenya is rendered vacant. Now think about that. If a man who works... Uh, for atheists in Kenya society, if he can be one to Christ, don't you imagine that any and every co-worker can be one to Christ? Any and every neighbor, friend, family, just go down the list, can be one to Christ. Here we see the motive behind the submission that the Holy Spirit is hammering in 1 Peter 2. Now, last week, Peter dealt with kind of a, you can think of it as the political realm, those in authority at local, state, national level. But now, he shifts gears and says, okay, this same submission applies in the workforce, in the workplace, between the employer and employee and employees and employees' relationships. And so that's what Peter is hammering down today. So today I'm going to speak to you on winning at work, winning at work, not whining at work, (laughs) not whining about work, (laughs) or whining while you work, but winning at work. So I'm going to read 1 Peter 2, 18 through 21, and then we'll unpack it together. So follow along. If you're there, say I'm there. Yes, you're there. Verse 18. If you're not, the... Scripture will be on the screen, although if you're in the room, you probably can't see it. So, sorry about that, but you can certainly hear it. So, here it goes. Servants, verse 18, 1 Peter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when... Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Gracious Father, we we thank you for the grace that you have given us today. Grace to have ears to hear what the Spirit says to your church. We pray today that we would respond in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our minds. With our deeds and our words and our actions, that this would change us today, and we would respond in a way that pleases you. That those who are far from God will be will come near to God. That those who are near to God will go get those who are far from God. That God, we be changed today. Grant us grace. Grant us the gift of repentance. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in our hearts. In this place, in every place where anyone is worshiping with us online, have your way. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. all right, here we go. This is, um, again, Peter has moved into the workforce, and he's very clear here about our motive. If you'll look at chapter 3 in First Peter real quickly, uh, verse number 1. Uh, Peter says this as he moves into the family realm. And this is what he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, watch this, they may be one. They may be one to Christ. Paul said it like this, I become all things to all men, that I might, what? Win some. That I might win some to Christ. Uh, So the whole idea here in our submission is not only out of reverence and awe to God and honoring God and fearing God, but also to fulfill the great commission and getting the gospel out to the people who have either not heard it or not surrendered to it. And so today the takeaway for these set of scripture in 18 through 21, I've worded it this way, to win some, to win some to Christ, we must be winsome. We must be uh, excited about the faith. We must be gracious and merciful. We must be cheerful. We must be uh, winsome. We must have something that they look at and say, how can you respond this way in this situation? How can you be at peace in this miserable situation? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. To win some, we must be winsome. If we're gonna win some who don't agree with us, we've got to be winsome in our attitudes. If we're gonna win some who don't behave like us, we've gotta be winsome in our behavior. If we're gonna win some who don't converse like us, we've gotta be winsome in our conversations. To win some who don't they don't do everything exactly like we do everything, we've gotta be winsome in all that we do. And so I wanna give you three reminders. That help us understand that we can be gracious even in those unjust situations. So here's the three reminders. Right right out of this text. Here's the first one. God empowers us to be gracious. He empowers us to do so. Remember what Jesus told his disciples. Guys, I want y'all to wait. You wait on the Holy Spirit. Don't you try to do this in your own power. You won't make it. You better wait on the Holy Spirit to come. And what did they do? They waited. And at Pentecost, the Spirit came. And you read the book of Acts and see all the grace extended and grace that was empowered to the church. God empowers us to be gracious. And I'll be the first one to confess, my first reaction oftentimes in situations is not gracious. The arrow is green. Go. It's green. Turn. Right? I mean, come on. But they wait. Like the other person on the other side is going to go. They're not going to go. Their light is red. Yours is green. Turn. And then they turn when it's yellow. Right? And then you get stuck. See, I'm not always gracious. Not always gracious. It's not going to get any greener. Go. I was going to say something, but I can't say that. I can't. Gosh, I want to. But I'm not. I want to. I'm not. I will say this. The other day I was this is so terrible of me, and I, repen- I repented already, and my lack of compassion and grace, I repented already, but I was, I saw this guy standing, he, to me he looked like a very physically abled young man, he was standing there with a cardboard sign that said homeless, you know, help, help needed, and kind of those will work for food type of signs, um, and, and the same week I actually helped a guy, I actually did show a little bit of grace, and I helped a guy who was sitting on the curb. I went and had a conversation with him about Jesus and bought him something to eat, so I helped him. But this other guy, he, he was standing there with his sign, and he was standing just feet from a restaurant who on their sign said, help wanted. Like signing bonus and so many per hour, apply today. The same restaurant on the door had a sign that said, we have to close at four today due to lack of help. Thinking this guy needs help, they want help, let's try to get the two together. That's not very gracious. It's not very compassionate. I know that. I repented of that, okay? But I, I, I confess, it's not always easy to be gracious, is it? No, it's not. But here, here's again, there's no exceptions. There's no exemptions. Uh, Peter says, if they're good and gentle, if it's an easy situation, in other words, be gracious, submit. If it's a difficult, if they're unjust, if they're cruel, if they're evil... If they're unreasonable at the same time, believer, submit, be gracious, all at the same time. That's what Peter's hammering down on. So let's see how he does it in verse 18. He says, His servants be subject to your masters. Now think about that. We read that and we think, okay, is the Bible condoning slavery? We have slavery in our history as a nation. Is the Bible condoning that type of slavery? Let me say it loudly, no. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this. To Timothy, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just but for the unjust. It's laid down for the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly, the unholy, the profane. It's laid down for those who strike their fathers and mothers. It's laid down for those who are sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. It's laid down for enslavers is the word. Enslavers. That word enslaver means one who is taken captive in order to be sold into slavery. And the Bible clearly says that is contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to sound doctrine. It is evil. Evil. So the Bible's not condoning that. What the Bible is speaking of here, what Peter's dealing with is in the first century, part of the workforce was servants and masters in the Roman Empire. Some would be farmers, some would be doctors that would meet all the needs of the family. Most of them were domestic servants that were on the home base. And many of the masters loved them dearly and accepted them into their family as part of the family. Not all of them, but some of them. And so here's what Peter's dealing with. What happened is these servants are getting saved in the Gentile church. And because they have their freedom in Christ, they think also, well, now that I'm free in Christ, now I can be set free from any and every situation I'm in, so with this master, I should also be free. And Peter says, "Wait a minute, not so fast. Yes, you're free in Christ, but that doesn't mean immediately you're freed from every difficult situation you find yourself. In fact, what also was going on in the church is these servants were getting saved. they were gifted spiritually. The Holy Spirit gave them gifts, just like the Holy Spirit has given you gifts and me gifts. And they found themselves in leadership roles. And then oftentimes, the servant in the church would have a leadership role over his believing master. So in one sense, the servant was an authority over the master. In the other sense, the master was an authority over the servant. And all that had to be worked out and dealt with. So that's why Peter's writing this. Saying, hey, servants, be subject to your masters. Line up under them is what the word means. Fall in line, get in line. And the same way we can think about the workforce today is employer-employee, or employees with employees, or employers with other employers. How do, we, how do we relate in the workforce? Here's what Peter says. We do it with all respect. That means with a good attitude. That means we submit, even in the difficult situations, without being bitter. Oh, that's not easy, is it? How is that even possible? And so here he says, not only do the good and gentle, which good means those who are benevolent, those who are upright, those who are kind, but also the gentle, those who are reasonable, those who are just, those who are gracious. It's easy to submit to a person when that person is gracious. It's easy to submit in an easy situation. But then Peter throws this wrench in there. Look Look at verse 19. He doesn't stop Or rather verse 18. He doesn't say servants be subject to your master with all respect. As long as it is easy. As long as they're good and gentle. No, He adds this other aspect. But also to the unjust. The word unjust there. In the Greek the word is scoliosis. Which is where we derive our English word scoliosis. And you know what that word means. A curvature of the spine. So I say, hey, even if people are, are, uh, even if they're twisted, even if they're tangled, even if they're dishonest, even if they're crooked, submit. Even if they're evil and cruel, submit. But it's hard. It's hard to submit when people are harsh. I know it is. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to show you right here in a minute. The way we do this is God empowers us to be gracious in any and every situation. He empowers us to. And here's how. Look at this little phrase in verse number 19. For this is a gracious thing. In other words, this is a grace. When you endure, when you do good and endure, even in those unjust situations, this is a gracious thing. This is a grace Well, how do I do that? Here's how you do it. Look at this. Verse number 19. Mindful of God. Somebody say mindful. Mindful of God. To be aware of God. To be mindful of God. To be conscious of God. To be aware. What does it mean to be mindful of God? Even in those unjust situations, what does that mean? Here's what you need to remember. Don't you ever forget that The disappointments in life that you face are oftentimes God's appointments. Don't forget that. So being mindful of God, what does it look like to be mindful of God? Here's what it looks like to be mindful of God. I know if you're a believer, you believe in God, otherwise you wouldn't be a believer. But my question to all believers is, do you believe God? Like in those difficult, hard situations, do you believe God? God, do you believe that you are where you are right now because of God's appointment? Do you believe that? If you're going to submit in that difficult, unpleasant, uncomfortable situation, you better believe that. You better believe you are where you are by God's appointment. Do you believe that if God wanted you to be somewhere else, you'd be somewhere else? Do you believe that? Do you believe that when God wants you somewhere else, you'll be somewhere else? Do you believe that? This is, how, this is what it means to be mindful of God, that we believe, yes, that God is good. Therefore, it must be for my good and your good to be in this situation, even though it's not good. you got to believe that. you got to get to the place where you believe. That the fact that you can't see any good in your present situation doesn't mean It's not there. It just means you can't see it. Tony Evans said it like this. If you see only what you see, then you don't see all there is to be seen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can stand under the big picture without understanding the big picture? you got to believe that. To be mindful of God means that you believe. That God's promise covers all the details of your life, even if they're random, even if they're out of control, even if they're unpleasant, even if they're difficult and uncomfortable and hard. And here's what happens when we're mindful of God when we're in these unjust situations. Here's what happens when we're mindful of God we break the chain of strife, we make the invisible grace of God visible. That's what happens. When we're mindful of God, we we, we are set free on the inside even though we may not be set free on the outside. We demonstrate the power of God. We prove that we trust in God's justice and we baffle unbelievers. They're going to be like, how in the world can you be at peace in this miserable situation? That's what happens when we're mindful of God. What happens when we're not mindful of God? The opposite happens. We fall into despair, right? We act hastily. We seek revenge. We harbor ill will when we're not mindful of God. We ask, why, why me, why now, when we're not mindful of God. And you may ask those questions even if you're mindful of God, but in the midst of asking them, you understand that God is sovereign over it all. Are you there? are you blaming other people? See, here's the real question. It's not about slavery. The real question is, when you're stuck in that job, you can't stand. When you're stuck there, in a situation that that is not easily changed, that's the point here. When you find yourself in an unpleasant spot, be it a job, be it a relationship, that is not easily changed, what do you do then? Do you believe that God is involved in the worst seasons and moments in your life? Do you believe that? He's not only involved in the best moments of your life. He's involved in the worst. you got to believe that. you got to be mindful of God. And Peter says through that you will be empowered to be gracious. Jesus said it like this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. My witnesses, not your own witnesses. But you'll be merciful, you'll be gracious. You'll be the Lord's witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So to win some who grieve, we must not grieve the Holy Spirit, but we must be winsome in our grief to win some who are hoping without any hope. We've got to be winsome in our hope. To win some who don't look like us. We've got to be winsome with our looks. We've got to quit mean-mugging them, right? Smile at them. Extend grace to them. Be merciful. Be gracious. To win some, we must be winsome. How is that possible? God empowers us by His grace. Second reminder that will help us be winsome believers, even in those difficult, unjust situations. Secondly, God expects us to be gracious. He expects that of us. Now, I've got to tell you, you know this and I do too, that the world we live in today does not expect to see grace. Do you know that? They expect everything to be canceled. Cancel culture, cancel culture, cancel culture. They, they, our world does not expect to see grace. I, I don't expect Rather, let me say it like this. God doesn't expect you to burn 2,000 calories while you sleep. I don't expect, I've never done that. I guess the only way you can do that is leave the brownies in the oven while you take a nap. I guess that would burn 2,000 calories. Some of you got that. But uh, that's another dad joke, isn't it? chalk that up as a dad joke. But God does expect us when we're awake to extend grace in the year 2021 which is so foreign to our culture. They'll be baffled and shocked and stunned. They'll be like the National Park in Argentina. There was a a giant river otter spotted swimming through the National Park in Argentina and it stunned. It stunned everybody in Argentina because they had deemed... This creature extinct, like it was extinct. They, they, they didn't live anymore. And then here comes one swimming down the. But when our world sees grace coming, and what is that? They're baffled and stunned. Yet God expects it. He says here more than once, this is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God when you do something that is total counterculture to our culture. Totally. And, and look what he says here. This is, oh, Peter. I mean, this, <laughs> I can just see Peter. I tell you, he, when he wrote this, he, he was in a mood. I'll just say that. Look what he says in verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, hey, if you break the law and you're in jail, don't complain. That's basically what he's saying. Do the crime, do the time kind of thing, right? But, but, if, if you endure while suffering unjustly, well, that's a good thing. That's a gracious thing. That's, a, that's good. Not only good to the world to see, not only good uh, before our great God, but also it's, it's good to the doer of good. It's good for you, it's good for me. And not only that, but look, look what it says in verse 20, I mean, verse 21 For to this you have been called. You've been called to this. It's not, it doesn't say you've been asked to do this or it's been suggested to you to do this. You've been called, believer. Consider yourself called. See, being called to be at church, being called to be the church, uh, being called to discipleship, being called to evangelism, being called to faithfulness, being called to holiness, being called to be gracious, this is not a professional call to vocational ministry. It's a call to every single solitary believer. That you're to be discipled and disciple. That you're to evangelize. That you're to be gracious and merciful and holy and love one another. Some of you, you you, you read the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 and you think, well that's only for weddings. And it's showing. It's not for weddings. It's for every believer to live in a way where love is portrayed. It's a verb. It's an action. And you've been called to this. And God expects you to be gracious. He expects us to submit and when we bear up under the unjust suffering that this world throws at us what does that look like here's what it looks like i'm going to give you several examples of what this looks like when when we're when we're threatened and we refuse to compromise our faith this is a grace this is grace When, when when we suffer for what we believe and do not complain this is grace When we're passed over at work for that promotion and we're not bitter and we choose not to be bitter, disappointed, sure. Bitter, no. This is grace. When we lose the game, but we don't lose our temper. Well, that's preaching right to me. (laughs) This is grace. It's grace. When we face countless trials, I mean just countless trials, and we still count it joy. As James says, this is grace. When we're ripped off and we can still smile, that's grace. When we love the Lord through the suffering, through the tears, through the pain, this is grace. And God expects us to be gracious. You see, here's what Peter's not saying. Peter's not saying you can't change your situation. You shouldn't look to improve it. You shouldn't look to better it. He doesn't. That's not what he's talking about. If you can Get another job, get another job. If you can change your situation, change it. If you can improve it, improve it. If you can better it, better it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when you find yourself in that unpleasant, uncomfortable, not easily changed situation, be gracious, be submissive, be humble, be merciful, submit in the most difficult of situations. For it's a gracious thing in the sight of God to find His followers following in the footsteps of our Lord. And when you suffer unjustly, you respond as Jesus did in a very gracious way. You can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. But with the Holy Spirit, with God, all things are possible. And God empowers us with His grace. He extends this grace to us. I tell you, it's a Southern Baptist Convention is coming to Nashville next week. Over fifteen thousand messengers have registered. That, that's a ton of people. I, I don't. I don't know if they've had that many since the '90s. I mean, it's a ton of folk going to the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'm telling you what, Baptists be fighting. It's going back and forth, and they're fighting over this and that and the other. And uh, one of the hashtags is hashtags SB, sbc 21 uh, Is like the hashtag for the convention. Seeing what all's out on social media, it's turning into UFC 264 is what it's turning into. I mean, the gloves are coming off, I'm telling you. But it was so refreshing to see this week, uh, hashtag, this is SBC. And it's, I mean, I've, I've seen hundreds of them. Of people just taking a picture of their local church and saying, hey, this is the SBC where I got saved or where I got baptized or where I was sent out as a missionary or a pastor or where I was discipled or where, uh, you know, VBS is happening here. This is SBC. And it had all these different people posting all these different pictures about churches fulfilling the Great Commission. And that's what it's about. That we can disagree and still agree to share the gospel. It's possible. (laughs) It is. The world will tell you it's not, but it is. It's possible how refreshing it is to know that God not only expects us to be gracious, He empowers us to be so. And here's the last one, number three, God extends grace to us. He extends His grace to us. Man, I took my girls this last week. We went to Panama City Beach. First time we'd ever been to Panama City Beach as a family uh, and stayed there was last year. Okay? Okay. Well, we went last year, and there wasn't nobody there. It was empty. No waiting in any restaurants. No wait, no traffic. It was was beautiful. And I'm thinking, man, we have found a place nobody knows about. Nobody knows about Panama City Beach, and we found it. Yes. So we went again this year. Oh, my glory. <laughs> that puddle of people from last year became a sea of people this year. People everywhere waiting for everything. I mean, it was incredible the difference in the number of people there. See, Man, this beach has played a cruel joke on us. But one that, something that's never disappointing when you go to the beach and is the sea. Just to see this enormous amount of water. And it just keeps coming, doesn't it? Like the waves don't stop. They just keep coming. And they keep, it's like, is the water ever going to run out? Is it ever going to run out? It just keeps coming. In and out and in and out. and Wow. And I know many of us think, well, I know God is extending grace, but I've got to earn it or I've got to deserve it or I've got to be good enough for it or I can't send too much. or I, 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 I. No, 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 no. Many of us think, well, there's not enough grace to go around. I don't know if there's enough grace to cover my sin. I'm vile and wicked, and I don't know if there's enough. You don't know what all I've done, and you don't know where all I've been, and you don't know how I've disappointed folks in my life and disappointed God and sinned against people and sinned against... God, and you don't know. There's not enough grace to go around. There's not enough grace to go around for that unjust boss I have. There's not enough grace to go around for those cruel, evil co-workers I work with. There's, there can't be enough grace to go around. To there can't be enough grace. Wondering if there's not enough grace to go around is like a child wondering, is there enough water in the ocean to fill up my sippy cup? There's plenty of grace to go around And God is extending this grace to you, and he's extending it to me. And here's how we know this in verse 21. He says, for to this you have been called. How? Why? Because Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, who who came in the flesh revealed himself in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. The Christ, the Messiah, this Jesus, look what it says. He suffered, Christ also suffered for you. Listen to the pronouns. He suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus suffered on the cross called Calvary. He died on the cross. He died on the cross for sins. He died on the cross for your sin and my sin and for our sin. He suffered and he did it unjustly. He he is what we call a substitute, substitutionary atonement. And through his substitute atonement, he atoned for your sin and my sin. He died in your place and in my place. And he breathed his last on the cross. And they buried him in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Oh, I'm so excited that today at 1 o'clock, we have our first baptism at the Point Church Online today. Lady was watching with us online and got connected with us, got saved, and she's going to be baptized today. Praise the Lord for that, right? Amen. Amen. And, and through this baptism, she's, she's going to go under the water, and we're going to, she's going to be buried with Christ. It's going to be a symbol of her being buried with Christ unto death. And when she comes out, she's going to be raised to walk in newness of life, to walk in His step to follow Jesus, but what we have to understand is these footprints that we are following as followers of Jesus, we've got to know that these footsteps in this world as we're exiles and strangers here, we don't belong here and these footprints that we're following Jesus on they go along oftentimes more than not along the path of unjust suffering. But God extends grace to us to handle it in Christ. In Christ, because he suffered for you and for me. And he left us an example. Listen, you do not, I do not, we do not ever suffer for our own salvation. You can't suffer for your salvation, and I can't suffer. Jesus has already paid that penalty. But we do suffer. For the sake of the one who saved us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Jesus is saying to us, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your... It's not a, a work that you do. It's not of yourself. It's only the gift of God. By grace you've been saved through faith. My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord says. To grow in grace. Paul writes, grace upon grace. That God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That Jesus came full of grace and truth. Not empty of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. That we now have access to the, to the throne of grace. This grace upon grace. Grace, grace is not a limited supply of help. It's not limited. You may be, you may be without many things, believers. You may, you may be without a lot, but you are never without grace. Never. And there's nothing in this life, there's nothing in this world that has the power to stop the un. Unending, relentless pursuit of God's redeeming grace. There's nothing that... You can't be too far outside of the reach of God's grace. And you can't be beyond the need of God's grace. It's not going to happen. And God extends that grace to us. You know, when, when I go to the beach, I don't really go to the beach. I go to the balcony. I go to the balcony. My feet don't touch the sand. I'm allergic to sand. I'm allergic to the sun. I don't go to the beach. I do my best... To not get sunburned. I stay out of the sun. I'm on the balcony in the shade. And this is what happens. This is what happened this week. I, I got two pictures here. Look, how did I get sunburned? I'm on the balcony in the shade. How do I get sunburned? You didn't know you are going to be doubly blessed today, did you? There you go. So this sun, I guess it hit the water and the sand and reflected up. So I don't know. I don't know. But whatever I've tried to do, I could not... Remove myself from the reach of the Son, S-U-N. I couldn't do it. And I'm telling you today, you may be fighting God with all you have to stay away from grace. You may be fighting God and fighting that co-worker who's trying to lead you to Christ and fighting your family who's trying to tell you about Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, you cannot escape the reach of God's Son, S-O-N. It ain't going to happen. His grace will get you. So why not submit to it today? Why not surrender to it today? God is extending his grace. Even now, he's extending it. So I want to challenge anybody that that does not come to faith in Christ. If you're at home worshiping online or you're in the room worshiping in person, I want to challenge you. We're going to stand up in just a minute, not yet, and I'm going to challenge you to put your faith personally for the very first time in Jesus Christ as your Savior challenge you to do that. If you are saved, I'm going to challenge you today, uh, if you're in, in the room, in person, to come to these steps, just line up, find a place anywhere around here, and pray for that co-worker God's laid on your heart that does not know Jesus. Please pray for him or her by name. Pray for your boss who doesn't know Christ. Pray for him or her. Please come and just let's just pray for them by name. And if you're at home and you want to do that and you want to send us a name in, we'd love to receive it. You can send it 79969. First name only is all we need so we can pray for them as a staff. You can send it in on the chat or however way that you can get it to us. 79969 is a great way. Just text their name in and we'll be praying for them. Would you stand with us, church?